0: When I began my ministry in the early, middle 1960s, it was a a chaotic and disruptive cultural time in our history as many of you who were my age or around my age remember. But there wasn't as much Carnage is going on now. And so we need to, in order to be able to deal with it as people of faith in any age have to deal with what's going on in their lifetime, we need to look back upon the resources that we have to face these challenges. And that's why Michael and I, in this summertime, have chosen to talk about faith and to make it clear how important it is for living. One of my heroes who I have not lifted up to you very much during my 25 or so years as the pastor here was Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr was born in Missouri on a farm in 1884 and lived through the transition into the 20th century. His dad was a farmer but a very religious German Lutheran. He got his faith from his dad like I did. And then he entered into the ministry and as he began to preach He said this. It began to dawn upon me that the simple little moral homilies which I myself gave and other preachers across the country were giving were clearly irrelevant to the brutal facts of life, especially in the great industrial centers of America during the first part of the 20th century. And so he said, I revolted against the theology of the left, the liberalism of the 19th century because it was insufficient and it was too idealistic to meet the needs of people in that time. And I revolted against the fundamentalist literalism of the right in Christian thought because it was irrelevant to the needs of people. And that was, in my understanding, Jesus wouldn't be saying that now. So he developed, and this is where you write your first thing in there, a theological framework that he called Christian Realism. Eber went on to uh, have a church in Detroit and take on the Ford Motor Company in the late 20s, and Ford was an icon at that time. He then wound up at... uh, Union Theological School in New York City, teaching. He had a summer home in western Massachusetts in the Berkshire Mountains. And one summer in 1934, he was the guest preacher at a little church near, near Heath, Heath, Massachusetts, which is just a little town. It still is. And he realized he after the sermon he had to say a prayer. So he scribbled a prayer down on a little piece of paper that was in the bulletin. And this was the prayer that he said as he was developing this Christian realism. Oh God, give us the serenity to accept what cannot be changed. The courage to change what should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Sitting listening to his sermon and this little prayer was Howard Robbins, the dean of the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. Afterwards, Robbins came up to Niebuhr and he said, Can I get a copy of your prayer? And Reinhold handed him the piece of paper and says, Here, take it. I have no further need for it. (laughs) Robbins took it back and published it in his uh, the cathedral's newsletter, and it crept its way into the culture, and AA adopted it as the serenity prayer. Most of them that you read are not this version. They're adaptations of this version. But that attitude is Christian realism. Give me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change that which I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hello? That's Niebuhr. Now you get Johnson. (laughs) With that in mind, I've spent most of my career trying to develop what I would... I forgot that phrase. I I went back and started reading Niebuhr last week. And, wow, I remembered now why I liked them so much. But I also studied with Abraham Maslow at Brandeis University. And you will see under number, Roman numeral number two, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You start at the bottom to understand human beings, to understand you and me. The first need is the physiological needs. Human beings need water, food, and sleep. You don't get those, you don't function very well. The next step up is safety and security. That means you have to have a family or someone around you so that you have numbers. You can't do it on your own. You have to at least have a cave to sleep in and know how to make fire to chase animals and predators away so that you have some some security and safety and shelter from storms. The next level you move are the affection needs that we have, love and affection. You need the respect and love of your family. You need to have the love of your children and of your parents. You have to have those needs met. If you don't get them, they disrupt who you are and in your growth, and you develop unconscious ways to cope with not getting them that play out further in your lifetime, in the development as you as an adult. The next one is esteem needs. That is when you're doing your work, whatever that may be, you are thanked for it. You are lifted up and say, Great job. A lot of you here have, because you live in this community, I assume you've done very well in your work and you get have gotten enough esteem to feel you can function in a sophisticated culture. Hello? And when those are met, then you function well. And finally, as we close in towards the end of life, you have to be able to answer for whether you have actualized in your life who you were created to be. It's called self-actualization. And even some of the followers of of, uh, Maslow have then developed another step beyond that called transformation, that there are times in our life that even the self that we were has to be transformed to be something better to meet the needs of what is going on. That means you look at every aspect of your life, your economic, your political, your social, Uh, your religious, all those convictions you held earlier and you start to question them as to whether they are adequate for what's going on now. I, I don't mean just now, but any now in your life. Those are the kind of things that we face. And when any of the bottom couple of things, safety and security, and the physiological needs are disrupted, The others don't matter at all. Are you with me? You can look at the refugees created by ISIS, right? They're not worried about self-actualization. They're not worried about that. They're like the woman on the wagon train headed west, and the husband climbs off the wagon and he says, Honey, i got to go out and find myself. And the cartoonist has arrows flying overhead. And she says, Just shut up and grab your rifle, we're being attacked, you know? There are other things you have, basic things you have to deal with. Okay. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so underneath that, write this human beings, we are need driven. We are need driven. All right, what are the three components of emotional, spiritual health that are important? Number one, a sense of self-worth. If you don't get that, we wind up feeling inferior. Hello? Okay. I had a strong inferior complex. You wouldn't know it now when I was growing up, because my mother was critical of me all the time. And I can remember clearly the day she leaned out of the window and said to me, you're not going to amount to anything because you don't study, you don't do anything. And I said something I can't repeat here inside myself in the sixth grade and then went on to get serious about study. So her negativity worked at least in that way, but I had to work a long time to get some really self-respect, because I didn't get it basically. Second thing there that you need, you need a sense of belonging. You need a group or a tribe to belong to. You know, rooting for the angels or the Dodgers is a is a tribe. You go to the to the ballpark and you have a good time rooting with all the others, right? Some people get carried away especially when the giants visit town. You need a sense of purpose, number three, purpose. Oh, if you don't have a sense of belonging, you get a sense of feeling homeless. There's no place where you come home to. We hope here that this is the place you come home to in your spiritual life, because you belong here. A sense of purpose. If that's missing then you uh, will feel inadequate. And you'll always run around looking for something to make you feel better about yourself if you don't have a sense of purpose. Okay. He's not saying anything, so I'm going to go on. (laughs) Why do people worry? Uh, when the New Testament Scripture was read, we heard that. The first thing that I could say, and this is stating from the biblical faith, one, because people fail to realize their significance as a being. We fail to realize our own significance. Two, you need to update your image of God. The second one is to update your image of God to a more intimate relationship. God really is your friend. That's what Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection means. He cares about you. If you don't believe that, you're not going to take that seriously. But when you do, it changes things. Third, you know and this is a corollary to the one i just said you don't understand that god already knows you you just have to ask and that asking means that god sees you're conscious of your own need and when that happens then things happen for you it it may be a long time coming But just like the guy said, if you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. Help will show up. Number four, and this is the crucial one to people of faith. People who worry have not settled the lordship issue. They believe that they themselves are in charge of their life. We're not in charge, folks. We have something. We, make this. we have freedom to make decisions. But if we make wrong decisions, I find the ground is rolled around my feet and I'm redirected towards where I should be going. And then I can choose to go that way or I can choose to fight that direction. When you've settled the lordship issue, you say, okay, I'm going around on the same issue again. I guess you're right. Uh, Are you following me? Have any of you had that experience? You can admit it. We're all incomplete. Come on. All right. The most common areas where your anxiety will take over is number one, health when your body is threatened by disease or something or someone you love is threatened by disease it shakes everything else up that's serious and to be taken seriously and I like this uh, if you look like your passport photo you're too ill to travel (laughs) or we could have put if you look like your DMV photo you shouldn't drive The second area, and this is the number one area of arguments in families, is money. The worry about money and how we use it. And third is another common one is family. We worry about our parents as they get older, and we worry about our children. And then when we have grandchildren we love them, but we worry about them. We want the world to be better for them. Because I'm going so long, I'm going to skip the psalm reading that to you, but that sets up the next thing. What do you do to make a faith crossing? You remember the old railroad tracks, especially those of you who still live out in the, in the sticks somewhere, or when you travel through the country, stop, look, and listen. There's no gates to come down there. You have to be sure to get across those tracks. It's the same with faith. In your life, just don't, the first thing is stop. Just don't do something. Stand there. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) You know, just don't stand there. Do something. Nike has just do it. There are times you've got to stop doing and just stop. Sometimes for me, stopping has been really an advancement because I've had time to collect and not scatter my energies. So stop. Secondly, look around. Look outward. What's going on in my life? Do I have associates or people I associate with who are dragging energy off of me, who are bringing sor well soros is a yiddish word but it means lots of trouble bringing sorus into your life you got to make choices about who you relate to okay that's looking outward then look into into yourself i had to look deeply at my relationship with my mom in order to have more peace inside and to see her woundings how they affected me and to say I could relearn that what she felt was coming from her problem place and they didn't have to rule my life anymore. Hello? That's looking inward. Okay. And finally, in that making is to listen. In Psalm 46, it says near the end, be still and know Be still and know that I am God. And when you really hear that message, when you hear that message, it says, I'm the boss. Don't worry. i got things in hand. It may not look like it out there, but I'm on my way to helping you. Quiet down and listen to that still, small voice that will speak in that silence. So, we move now to the special tools that faith gives. Number one is worship. This is conversation with God in community. You are here for some reason, you came today, you have been called out of the world to come into this community. Take time for worship. Two, is develop intimacy with the scriptures. This is where you get inspiration. This is conversation with past Christians. The Bible is not a book. In fact, the word Bible means books. The Protestant Bible, the one we use, has 66 books in it. Some Less than a page. Others go on ad nauseum forever. <laughs> a very uninteresting. I'd never read Deuteronomy if you get bored easily. <laughs> Which I do. So there are 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and in them the basic things are people facing issues in their time and wrestling with that problem with God. So you can get inspiration from who wrestled with the same issues we wrestle with now. So you come into community for conversation with God. You have historical connection with biblical inspiration. And then the time with God in silence. I wanted to stress this one, so I typed it in red. Red. Silence. I mean, you get time, you go away. Turn off the television. Leave the cell phone in another room. Oh, I got a text. Just leave it there. Be alone in silence with God. Listen to what stirs within you. Take time for silence. And four is prayer. Not just any prayers, but the Lord's prayer and the serenity prayer. These are, the serenity prayer is a basic attitude prayer for survival in life. And the Lord's prayer gives all the basics. The Lord's prayer is the only thing, well, the only thing the disciples ever asked of Jesus was, teach us to pray. And he taught them the Lord's prayer. He constructed it for the things that you basically need. Okay. Let's go on to the faith. Put faith into work. Now, this is a reflection. The path to a deeper faith is a reflection of the psalm. Okay. I'm talking too much. You see, when I don't preach a lot, I have to get it all in in one day. (laughs) Because I can't turn this mind off. I'm sorry. Number one, commit. Decide to reveal yourself to God. Just put, reveal yourself to God. Reveal your way to the Lord. Then number two, give every area of your life to God. Ask for help in all areas of your life. Three, remain faithful to your journey through life, to what you think you were called to do, who you were called to be. Four, rejoice in everything that happens to you. Remember, St. Paul wrote that in everything God works for the good to those who love God. He didn't say everything will be good that happens to you. That rejoice in everything that happens to you for God will make well all that. Okay? Number five, rest. And the rest I'm talking about is when Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will have rest unto your soul. What he meant was, my picture is a yoke on one ox, Jesus, and the other ox, me, and we're pulling the load of life together. So take some rest. And please, oh, secure people. Secure people in their faith, it should be. They know who they are. They like who they are. And they are congruent with who they are. Who you meet on the outside is who they are on the inside. And please remember what I'm discussing is that an intimate, deep, and honest relationship with God is not the same thing as a set of strongly held beliefs by many religious people that you meet. Are you with me? There are people that are so convinced that they're right and everybody else is wrong. That's not a deep, intimate faith. That's just strongly held beliefs. Beliefs are works of the mind. St. Paul wrote, We are not saved by works. We are saved by our relationship, a relationship in God through Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for letting me take so much of the time of your life today. And we got more to do in this worship service. So see it as a conversation with the Almighty.